produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. The sun is bright and hot, but it's still early, so it's not like beaming down. It's just providing this warm glow over the desert. It feels familiar. We're starting today in another desert, not the one I grew up in in West Texas. No, this desert feels like it's California cousin distinct, but connected. We're in Joshua Tree, staying in a little trailer just outside the national park. The terrain is flat until it's not, until rock formations and mountains rise from the baked ground. Prickly pear cactuses and the occasional little bright yellow desert marigolds peek out from crevices. The actual Joshua Trees appear still, but somehow also animated. Before I came, a friend told me they reminded her of Dr. Seuss characters. Dancing, standing in odd poses, looking charmingly absurd. And today, the ends of their funky shapes sway with the calmest desert breeze. But what most catches my eye is, of course, the creosote. The brush I recognize from my desert, abundant here too. I was supposed to come here to rest, to restore after finishing anything for Selena. I'd been telling friends long before the podcast ended about how I planned to go to Joshua Tree when it was all over. But then it ended, and I didn't feel any closure. What I mostly felt was hungover, emotionally hungover. For a year of my life, my job was to think through these big feelings of identity and belonging, and I did. And it was cathartic, but also heavy, and I was still processing it. Yet, as a journalist, something felt unfinished to me. A thing I hadn't checked off my list. And I kept going back to a scene. To this scene. Selena, in the desert, in Joshua Tree. This is where she recorded her music video for her song, Amor Prohibido. It was the most successful U.S. Latin single of 1994. And it's the title song to her most renowned record, her crowning achievement. Amor Prohibido Selena is Selena at the top of her game. Long black hair that sways in the breeze big silver hoops, tight jeans, and a crimson buttoned-up men's shirt tied in a knot to conform to her curves. She sings in the desert with a red door placed in the midst of creosote and cacti. The day of the music video, the label had sent Selena a full wardrobe with several choices for her to wear. But she ultimately chose something she'd brought with her, a red button-up men's shirt that belonged to her husband, Chris Bettis. 
This was her most high-profile music video to date. She could have worn anything, but she chose her husband's shirt. I don't think this decision was an afterthought. Selena paid attention to the little things. Another time, she stopped a music video until the crew found a white rose, one of her signatures, for a shot. Selena's the Unlike her first big album cover, where the label had forced upon her a bohemian look, this time Selena took charge. She had her aesthetic down. She knew what she was going for. By this point in her career, she'd made some big decisions. She started her fashion line, despite concerns from her father that it could detract from the music. She was finally recording the English album she had promised fans for years. And she had made one of the most consequential decisions of her life. She'd eloped, as we all know from the biopic. You can't tell me who I can and can't- Selena, you wait! You're gonna ruin your career, you're gonna ruin your life. You're only 20 years old. Give yourself some time. Dad, I don't care what you say, it doesn't matter, okay? I love him, and that's it. By Amor Prohibido, she had been married a couple years, so the music video gives us a Selena that's frozen at a pinnacle point in her career and personal life. Grown Selena, in charge of her life Selena, transcending Selena. It was around this time that I remember Selena mentioning her husband Chris Moore. And I'd like to thank my husband. I love you. one of y'all, you wouldn't be booing, right? I just want to say happy pre-anniversary. Latin American press in particular would ask Selena about Chris relatively often, or more like would ask her if she was single or if she had someone special. Sometimes it was a little awkward if the interviewer was flirting with her and then she'd be like, that's actually my husband on guitar over there. Selena would talk a lot about how Chris and her were friends at first, how he was different than other guys who were usually after one thing. She talked about how calm he was compared to her, how he balanced her, and how her success as an artist was his, because they shared the same goals in music and life. She referred to Chris as her best friend, as well as her family. And mostly, Selena talked about how in love she was. Sometimes people would make comments about how young she'd gotten married, at 20 years old. But she always asserted her decision. 
I told you you got married too young, Selena. All these I, guys out here, like, they'd be it, lining let up. Let me ask her. What's your name again? Mary. Mary. Isn't the married life wonderful? Yes. If you're sharing it with somebody who's really special. After Selena's death, Chris rarely did interviews, but fans held on to him, to his role in Selena's story. Recently, I asked people on Instagram what Chris Perez represents to them, and a theme surfaced. The one big thing she 100% chose for herself. The first sense of herself, without her family, or music. Fighting her dad for what she wanted. So autonomy. Selena living her life as her true, authentic self. Taking her life into her own hands, on her own terms. Chris represents Selena's freedom to be a woman and live her own life. So yeah, Selena and Chris's love story isn't just about young love. No, it's about a woman forging her own way. Establishing her autonomy. Declaring her choices. This is Anything for Selena, a podcast about belonging. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. I was desperate to get Chris Perez. That's producer Antonia Cerejido. I sent him DMs on Instagram. I sent him DMs on Facebook. I looked him up on IMDb Pro. He wasn't on IMDb Pro, which was driving me crazy. I went to his personal website and I was just like desperate, hoping that he would be on the show, but I, re- I couldn't make any kind of inroad. 
Our team had tried to get a hold of Chris Bettis throughout production, several times, through official and unofficial channels. We even reached out to his hot sauce company. Yes, a hot sauce company. After all, this scene where Chris pulls out hot sauce from a holster on his pants while on a pizza date with Selena is one of the most cherished in the Selena canon. Dude, what are you doing? Hot sauce. That is enough. Dude, they can't make food hot enough for me. Oh, you are going to be sorry. Watch this. Nothing worked. But recently, and serendipitously, someone I knew was working on a project connected to Chris. And finally, a few weeks ago, we managed to make real contact. And while I had originally come to Joshua Tree to rest, to decompress from the show, I had a wild suggestion. Come to Joshua Tree to interview Chris instead. In the place he recorded Amor Prohibido, at first, my team thought the idea was kind of out there. Celebrities don't even agree to travel to another city to be on, like, the cover of big magazines. So I was like, yeah, right. It's, I mean, he, he rarely talks to the press as is. So I was like, how are we going to get him, period? And then on top of that, you were asking him to travel to Joshua Tree in the middle of COVID to spend time with you. Like, I was just like, I mean, it would be amazing if he did that, but... Like, good luck. <laughs> I was uh, I was very skeptical. But I knew I needed to talk to Chris. So I asked him, meet me in Joshua Tree. Talk to me about the Selena I want to know there. To my surprise and delight, Chris agreed. So producer Kristen Torres came down from Boston, Chris and his manager from San Antonio. We all got a COVID test before and all met up at Joshua Tree mostly outdoors, with Kristen and I double-masked. We hadn't planned for it to be this way, but the first night we met up with Chris was on March 31st, the anniversary of Selena's death. Chris tries to keep that day low-key. We did too. I had spent the morning watching one of Selena's big concerts that her family streamed on their social media channels. It's one from 1993 that she won a Grammy for. She's wearing a purple motorcycle jacket with rhinestones. The band sounds sharp. She's on her A-game. During the concert, Selena looks back at Chris, and they share this tender smile. So later that night, it felt surreal to sit next to Chris, the same guy who a quarter century ago shared glances with Selena on stage. He told me this is one of the most peaceful anniversaries he's experienced. Every year it's a, it's a conscious decision to try to handle it. You know what I mean? In the most uh, not so uh, like self-destructive ways. You know, like I've, I've done in the past yeah. without even realizing what's going on, not, not noticing the, uh, the patterns. Yeah, every year, you know. For the first few years after Selena's death, he spent the anniversary drowning in drugs 
and alcohol. But this year, at Joshua Tree, he and his manager, Carlito, tried to find the spot of the actual music video. Exactly what you could see, like, no matter where you looked in that area, it, it was a possibility. Oh, they filmed it here. They filmed it there, you know. It was kind of hard to pinpoint it. But we really, like, gave it a shot. <laughs> and really looking <laughs> like we even had a picture to reference to. <laughs> yeah. And Chris already had it in his head. And you were looking for that big rock that she... Yeah, it was just like one of those things, you know. Chris had told me he's not a fan of interviews. He finds them awkward and disingenuous. So I mostly wanted to spend time with him while we recorded, rather than do a traditional sit-down interview. Uh-oh, the fuzzy mic came out. Fuzzy mic. <laughs> the dead cat. I love the tunes. What are you playing? Um, I think he's got it on Hair Nation, Satellite, 80s. Because like I used to listen to that all the time. But yeah. I had to like be in a mood. Got tired of it. You were like, you were like a Motley Crue. Yeah. Crew, I mean, sure. I, yep, yep. And you know what freaks everybody out now? Is that I'm Frank Sinatra. Like, I get in my car, I have six XM, I'm always on Sinatra. Um, I'm at home, I got my Bluetooth speaker or my Alexa play Seriously Sinatra all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> I went from wanting to throw down and do all kinds of crazy shit to like, ah, I just want to feel like I'm in a relaxed zone, you know? Yeah. And right away it became clear. He's not the same Chris from the Selena story. Last thing y'all want or I want is for me to be that guy again. The trashing hotels guy? The trashing hotel guy? He doesn't he doesn't exist anymore, right? No. No, he learned. <laughs> I mean, physically, Chris seems very familiar to me from the internet. Black t-shirt, slim jeans, tinted aviator sunglasses his tight curls pulled back in a ponytail slash bun. He doesn't look all that different from his days with Selena. Except, of course, he looks older than that fresh-faced 22-year-old who eloped. He was only 24 when they filmed Amor Prohibido in Joshua Tree. Do you remember when you shot the Amor Prohibido video? What do you remember from that day? I remember the night before. It was really cool. We had driven in from uh, Los Angeles, and uh, if I remember it right, the whole crew and Selena, myself, you know, director, all that, we all stayed in like this, um, like it was a hotel, like a motel, you know what I mean, old school, but everybody stayed there, like it was all us. In the you know same complex. Mean? Yeah, like the whole motel rooms. was full, like one story motel, you know, and it was full. It was booked out. Just for the music video. Just, yeah, so we were all there. He told me that that day, the day of the music video, is the first time he learned of red wine. And then I remember like going to this, and this was new to me. We were both really young. I remember going to this dinner. And everybody was there, and it was like kind of fancy, but not. 
Like you knew it was fancy, but the surroundings were not fancy. What did you guys eat? Do you remember? Mm-mm. I don't remember, but they had all the. I had. I hadn't drank any wine. I didn't know what wine was. You know, I knew beer and liquor and whatever, but they had this red wine, and <laughs> we were just. <laughs> we just started, you know, sipping on that. And we had a great night. I can tell he's lived a lot of life since Selena. He's gone from being the guy who didn't know about red wine to the guy who stopped drinking it every night because it was making him depressed. And now he's getting into something else. Now, like I got on this Chopin, have you heard of that? Chopin potato filtered vodka with club soda. I think that's gonna be my next thing. It's called Chopin? Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like a- Potato filtered vodka. Um, which is supposedly, like, really clean and, you know, um... Wait, it's potato vodka that is filtered, or it's filtered with a potato? (laughs) I'm not too clear on that. (laughs) At first, Chris and I talk about the everyday stuff, like how he tries to eat plant-based every chance he gets. Being from Texas, I'm like, wait, what? Plant-based? You know, everything's meat over there. But I started reading about it, and... He started doing it, but I went by like... He went by the book. Day book. one, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Day two, breakfast, all the way through the... He read the instructions. Days. Plant-based, hence the potato vodka. Yes. That's yeah. how we do it. <laughs> like, once you find a kid, open that door, like, oh, this is healthier? It's a vegetable. It's a vegetable. That's producer Kristen Torres, by the way, with one of my favorite lines from this podcast. It's a vegetable. <laughs> Someone told me recently that in our interview with Abraham, we were muy bien portaditas on our best behavior, that my intergenerational code switching activated the most polite parts of me. It's true. And look, I was respectful with Chris too, obviously, but these interviews lit up different parts of myself. Just like I imagine these two relationships activated different parts of Selena. Through Chris, I learned more about impulsive Selena, the kind of woman who, after a single motorcycle lesson, decided she was ready to ride on the highway at night, only to crash into someone else's yard. Yeah, she drove us all the way home. Had a blast laughing on the highway. I could hear her through the helmet. Um, take the exit <laughs> and and go up somebody's yard trying to make a left. And then before we get home, I have to stop her and tell her to, you know, like, hey, get off, let me get in front. Because, you know, last thing I need is for your dad to see you driving up on the motorcycle. He's going to have a fit. Or the Selena, who on a whim one flight played airline stewardess. She was cracking it up with the with the airline stewardess. They let her start serving drinks on the plane like she was another one of them. And she did a great job, too. That's the other thing about her. like She was so um, ready to put herself in a situation that most people would be uncomfortable with. You know what I mean? And instead of that, she wouldn't run from it. She'd go for it. Or 
or the firm Selena, who immediately said no when Chris brought up the idea of going solo. She'd been around musicians all her life and thought she and Chris would grow apart if they toured separately. And every, How did she react when you told her? Like, it was a, it, there was no starter. What, how do they say it was a nine? Like, like you sh- sh- shut me down quick. You know, and I could have fought on it, but nah. It's not just a more impulsive or firmer Selena. Through Chris, I learned a detail that shed new light on her. And it has to do with their love story. We know of the elopement, but I've always been more fascinated with the beginning how things really sparked between the two of them. I'd read about it in Chris's book. It started in Acapulco. The band was on vacation there, a reward for the Coca-Cola endorsement they'd landed. This is how I knew the story. Selena wasn't yet 21, so in the States, she wasn't able to party with the band. But in Mexico, she could go to the bars and the clubs. And soon... Chris and her ended up standing next to each other all the time. At one dinner, he became aware of her warm thigh pressing against his. And soon, the tension was palpable, but still unnamed, just a chemistry, not yet fleshed out in actions. Until the plane ride back, when they ended up sitting together, turbulence forced the aircraft to shake. And from one second to the next, the two were holding hands. The me back then was being kind of like, maybe we're just being friends, you know? She's just keeping it cool. She knows I'm freaking out, turbulence, whatever, and she's holding my hand, but then I'm like, but if it's not that, but no, it is that, it is that. They held hands like it was something they did all the time, like it was totally normal. At the same time, I knew there were sparks going on. So how long did you all hold hands? How long, the entire flight? Dude, she was like massaging my hand. And there I am, dub, and then, well, you know, <laughs> I didn't know what to think. And then also, too, you add to that, you know, we're, we're, we work together. You know, how's this gonna end? It's not gonna end good. They didn't talk about their feelings then. But after that, Chris couldn't stop thinking about her. Imagining the way she looked in Acapulco, the softness of her hand on his. Or at least that's the way I thought the story went. But actually, there's one big detail I had no idea about. So... And to be honest, when we went to Acapulco, she had a boyfriend or she was seeing somebody. You had a girlfriend too. I did. Yeah. I did. That yeah, that I had been with. But um so we flew out, right? And then the dude flew out to go over there. And Her then boyfriend? Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Yes, is this, is, yes. This, is this the Acapulco trip where you all ended one. up yes. holding hands on the plane of the Yes, yes. I didn't know this part. Well, I'm telling you. You yeah. had a boyfriend that flew to Acapulco? Yes. 
Yes, Selena was dating someone at the beginning of this trip. Just before the trip, actually, there had been a dinner where this suitor was slated to declare his intentions with Selena to her father and her family. Chris says some of the band was invited. Because we were all invited to go to kind of like smooth it out. (laughs) What do you mean smooth it out? Like just be cool, like keep, keep everything moving. Hey, so, you know... Because we all knew each other. So it would be less awkward, you yeah, mean? Yeah, <laughs> big time. So soon after this dinner, Chris says it was the next day, actually, all of them flew to Acapulco, including the suitor. You know, we're all having fun. And like, Selena and I had a couple of like funny moments. You know what I mean? Just like being a little goofy, whatever. And the next thing I know, the dude's gone. Ah, mystery. We don't know if the dude was scheduled to leave or if he left early. But suddenly, he was gone. And it was only after the suitor left that the chemistry between Selena and Chris started to take hold. She's often portrayed as such a good girl, someone with no major romantic interests before Chris. But girlfriend obviously had choices. She was being courted. She was feeling things out. I love this for her. I love seeing these parts of her that I didn't know. These contours to her personality that Chris lays bare. And not all of them are light or funny. Chris was also privy to a more vulnerable Selena. One of the passages from his book that stayed with me is when he writes about the private moments that Selena literally collapsed on the ground from the pressure she felt when she started her fashion career, despite worries from her father that it would take her away from the music. Chris writes that there were a couple of times during their marriage that Selena fell to the floor and wept openly and loudly for hours. Her knees would buckle, her strength seemingly left her body, and she would simply cry. Really, there's no talking at that point. What would you do? Oh, I would make sure she was okay. I'd be up with her. You know, I'd, I'd let her know I'm, I'm right here. I'm here. It's us. Just repeat it. Just try to calm her down. Krista Selena never hinted at the pressure publicly. But in private, she worried. She fretted about her family playing a diminished role in her music career as her star rose, about what that would mean. There was a lot on her shoulders that, like from my perspective, you would never know. You know, it wasn't until moments like that happened that you realize everything she's carrying, because she never walked around like that. She never, you know, I mean, every now and again, like, and I even put that in, in the book about how the one time, you know, I walk into the bunk area and she's just laying in the bunk, like, super not there. And I, I knew something was up and I asked her and she was worried about her family and doing the new English album. And what part is A.B. going to play in it? What part is Suzette going to play in it? You know, they can't play that kind of music. They're not that type of musician. They're great at what they do. But this is something completely different. 
Chris told me he wishes the world saw this Selena, a more human Selena. He thinks her portrayals have been a bit sanitized. There's so much more to her that people don't think it's a good idea to let out. You know, certain sides of her they don't want. And for me, it's like, but you're just, like people want to know those kinds of things. You know, it really, it's, it's not, like we're all human. We all have our ups and our downs. We all have our good sides, our bad sides, our super exciting sides, our boring sides. And I think the, the biggest thing is, uh, for like your family is, is keeping it super clean cut, super almost unrealistic in its perfection. You know, that I think if you were to let some of that go, it would actually show way more of her that people are, especially nowadays, ready to hear about, you know, or to know about more of the struggles, how things weren't perfect, how um, there were arguments, um, how she wasn't perfect. But, I mean, hopefully, uh, the some of that will come out but I just I think that it's stifling her to be that way if you're sensing tension between Chris and Selena's family it's because there is. That's not a secret. News outlets have reported how Chris and the Quintanillas have been to court, with Chris saying the estate has not paid him what he's due as Selena's widower. The Quintanillas have said they honored an agreement they made with Chris after Selena's death. But the strain in the relationship isn't just financial. There's also a difference in how the two approach Selena's legacy. Selena's family is opposed to any politicizing of Selena. They believe that attaching her to causes she didn't speak up for in life dishonors her. And Chris, for example, played at that Selena for Sanctuary concert in Central Park meant to raise awareness for the abolition of ICE and immigrant rights. Fans often take sides, with Chris Stans criticizing Abraham and vice versa. Even in death, Selena, it often seems, is pit between these two men, her father and her husband. And at first, Selena was stuck in the middle. Selena choosing to be with Chris was inherently an act of defiance, a measure she had to intentionally take to express her autonomy. The reason so many of us connect to Selena's story is because it's this really acute reflection of some of the dynamics of our own families. A family we're born into and truly love, and the way we exert our independence from them, and who we choose to land with. And what has always drawn me to Selena's romance is that she had to establish these boundaries in her life, to defy expectations around her in order to assert herself via her relationship with Chris. But I know that neither her father nor her husband defined Selena. 
she defined herself. Just like I don't think Chris's three-year marriage to Selena more than a quarter of a century ago solely defines him. He's lived a whole life since. He made a record with some of his favorite artists like Cheap Trick and won a Grammy. He got married again and divorced. He had two kids, the youngest of which just turned 16. And the most powerful moments of my interview with Chris, the parts that landed in my heart as if they were what I needed to hear, were surprisingly not the moments about Selena, but the moments about his life after Selena, particularly when he struggled to be a present father in the thick of a difficult divorce. For me, the easy stuff is being there. Um, you know, because it's what I didn't have, so I know what I want to give my kids because my dad was never there, so I I knew how I wanted to be with my kids. But in the middle of divorce and it gets just ugly, um, the hardest thing is to try to, for the kids' sake, um, like, how can I say, uh, like, you know, you just want everything to be cool. I have to admit, I got a little caught off guard when Chris started telling me about his divorce. It was early on in an impromptu sit-down interview, and he was surprisingly open about how oppositional he had felt to his ex after their divorce. And he was surprisingly open about how oppositional he had felt to his ex-wife after their divorce. There was a lot of hurt. The way it felt like to me was like, Here's me, and here's her. And here's one end of the spectrum, here's the other end. And it takes a lot for, you know, to do this. And like, I could tell you my side and leave her over here, but at the same time, she's got her side. And so we both really had to work together to, to, to get to a point, but it took a lot of um, anger, you know what I mean? And, and that, that needed to be kind of let go of. Chris talked to me about what it was like to be a creative in the midst of a traumatic separation, how depleted he felt when it came time to write music. And of course, his words landed on me. I thought about how I wrote anything for Selena in the middle of one of the most difficult decisions of my own life, the end of my relationship with my son's father. In fact, I wrote some of this episode on Easter, having to stop in between recordings to cry. Because for the first time in my young son's life, I spent only half the day with him on a holiday. We got up and had an Easter egg hunt and painted eggs. And before I knew it, it was time to send him off with his dad for the rest of the holiday. This last year, my son's father and I transitioned from a couple to co-parents. It's been a huge change in my life. Or I should say it feels like I'm rebuilding my life. This whole thing was on my mind because, well, you know the serendipitous coincidence that led me to Chris? The thing I told you about in the beginning of the episode, about how someone I knew was working on a project connected to Chris? That someone was my ex. 
So here I was, emotionally hungover from the rest of the podcast, and the universe was like, nah, boo, you're not done. Here's something else you should face. And I am. I'm exploring how I've loved people in the past, what I've looked for in love. And I've come to realize so much of it is informed by my own relationship with my father and my family that I sought to heal some of my trauma or sometimes unknowingly repeated through romantic love. Because the way we love is shaped by the kind of love we experienced growing up. Would Selena have eloped with Chris had it not been for Abraham's tight grip? Did Selena love Chris because he was the antidote to Abraham, a laid-back support that served as a contrast to Abraham's tight hold? I don't know. But I know that Selena fought for her choices, that she was establishing the course of her life, just like I know I am now. Because despite the pain of ending my relationship, it feels like I'm reconciling a relationship with myself, that I'm charting my path. You know, Selena cited her influences a lot. Janet Jackson, A Taste of Honey, Whitney Houston. But Chris told me about her all-time favorite, her shining light, the one artist she came back to all the time. And I put this in the book, and I think it's a really important point for people to know, is like, I asked her straight up, you gotta pick one. I do this to all my friends. You gotta pick one. You're stranded on an island. You can only take one person or one band. You can only take their catalog. And you have to pick one person. Who is it going to be? Who's your favorite? And she said, without skipping a beat, Rocío Durcal. And when she said that, I was like, I get it now. I get it. Because if you hear her singing, that's where, you know, that's where the emotion comes from. Rocío Durcal. La Reina de las Rancheras was a huge singer in Mexico, known for embodying every emotion in a song with such heart. Her voice, a treasure. Chris says he doesn't really play Selena's music when he wants to feel close to her. Instead, So now, as a matter of fact, when I want to feel, um, I don't want to say her, uh, Selena's presence, but when I want to feel her energy kind of thing, I'll play, uh, um, I'd, instead of playing Selena's music, I'll play Rocio. And I'll hear her, like, I'll hear Selena, like, doing it. Which Rocio Durcal song? Do Any one of them. Especially the mariachi ones. So we started today with Amor Prohibido and end with Amor Eterno. From the forbidden to the eternal. Amor Eterno even mentions a bittersweet memory of Acapulco. 
It's a song about a love that lingers in the heart even when a person is gone, about a deep yearning for someone's presence, a wish they were still here, and an ode to loving them forever. Anything for Selena is a co-production of the iLab at WBUR, Boston's NPR news station, and Futuro Studios. I'm your host, Maria Garcia. Our producers are Kristen Torres, Antonia Cerejido, and Juan Diego Ramirez. Mixing and sound design by Paul Veitkis. Our editor is Marlon Bishop. Ben Brock Johnson is the executive producer of the iLab and contributed production management and editing. Additional editing by Sofia Baliza Carr. Original music for this episode was composed by Paul Veitkis. Iliana Galvez created the artwork for this series. Find out more about anything for Selena on Twitter and Instagram at Selena underscore podcast and at WBUR.org slash anything for Selena. <laughs> <laughs>